If your business has big goals, you need more than just another vendor. You need a true partner who cares about your deal as much as you do. At PropLogix, we provide time-saving due diligence services from title searches to HOA research, lien searches, and more. Our team will go out of their way to ensure you're supported, and our reports are backed by our Six Sigma quality assurance approach. PropLogix, getting you to the closing table with confidence. A new episode of Title Talks starts now. John Dyer runs Nova Title Agency, an independent title company with two locations in Ohio. He says although conditions are tough between the market and unending attempts from fraudsters, he would choose to go into this business all over again. In our episode today, John and I chat about making tough decisions for your business and how to stay ahead in this market. This episode is the final episode in our five-part series centered around the 2023 State of the Title Industry Survey and Report. You can listen to all the episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Feel free to subscribe because we're already lining up some amazing interviews for Season 5. Also, if you haven't already downloaded your copy of this year's State of the Title Industry Report, you can grab yours at stateoftitle.com. I'm Lindsay Gordon, and this is Title Talks. I am joined today by John Dyer. He is the president and owner of Nova Title out of, uh, where in Ohio are you, John? Cleveland, Ohio. We have an office in uh a suburban Cleveland and in uh, Wayne County in Worcester, Ohio, where the College of Worcester is located. Awesome. Yeah. So he's joining me from Ohio and we are going to talk a little bit about the state of the title industry, uh, how he got involved in title and what it's like running um, an agency right now uh, in in the industry. So, uh, John, I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of introduce yourself, uh, who you are and what it is that you do. Yeah, thanks. So I'm John Dyer. I run Nova Title Agency. We have two offices I mentioned. We have 20 employees and we do primarily residential work. We're not an ABA or affiliated business arrangement or joint venture title company. So we earn our business the old fashioned way by price and uh, service. And uh, so service is critical to everything we do. Uh, I'm an attorney. Uh, my wife and I have three grown children and I'm born and raised in Cleveland. And so here we are. Awesome. So um, it's kind of a funny story, but why don't you tell our listeners how you and I got connected? Yeah. So I, uh, for the first time, attended an American Land Title Association conference. It was a couple weeks ago in Colorado, and it was an excellent conference. So I urge anybody who's on the fence or thinking about going to go. It was great networking and got to meet a lot of people, and it got me on this podcast. So uh, I have, Lindsay, I've been listening to your podcast for several years. I really enjoy it. And I found numerous tips and things to think about, and uh, it really is interesting to me. And so um, I was walking through the conference, and there were all these people in green suit coats, green blazers. So I <laughs> realized eventually by my powers of perception that they were with PropLogix because that's where the booth they were at, and that was the branding. And so one of the gentlemen, Lou Cello, I just said, hey, I, lo- I love your podcast, by-, by the way. And he's like, oh, thanks. So we chatted for a minute, and then we went our different directions, and then about a half hour later, he brought your, I believe this head of marketing, Becky over. And so we mm-hmm. chatted some more 
And my wife said, you know, you should have him on your podcast, Becky. And then boom. So now here we are six, a couple weeks later. Yeah. So it just goes to show that as long as you're, you're dedicated and you listen and, and you can uh, potentially open up new opportunities for yourself, yeah. <laughs> staying engaged is really important. And had you not gone to Alta, we may not have been able to um, connect like this. So that's really Yeah, cool. that's right. So um, I want to know a little bit about how you got started in the title industry and kind of how you got from, from entering the industry to where you are today. Yeah, so uh, I'm an attorney. I've been licensed to practice law in Ohio for 30 years. And I had a high school friend who was a very successful mortgage banker in Northeastern Ohio. And so periodically as I was practicing law, he would call me and say, hey, can you come out? We have an issue here. And I was writing letters, calling bankruptcy trustees, uh, advising lawyers or interpreting what lawyers were telling the lender. And I was basically curing title. I didn't call it title curative. I didn't know what that was. I was just being a lawyer, essentially. And after a few years, he said, hey, you're pretty good at this. We should set up a title agency. And I said, I'm a litigator. I, I did a lot of domestic relations work. I did bankruptcy litigation and probate litigation, which oddly, by just kind of the way it worked out, are all areas that impact title very frequently. So I did a lot of that work. So I was familiar with it, less familiar with real estate. Um, and so the way I describe it, he kept after me and, uh, I spent practicing law. I spent two years figuring out what I was doing, two years getting good at it, two years trying to figure out something else to do. So after about six and a half years of practicing law, so I practiced for about six and a half years, but as my old boss, Joe Stafford said, it's not the years, it's the miles. And I had a lot of miles in there. So I feel like I packed about 20 years of practice in six and a half years. We had a great practice, very fun, very active, but I was looking to get more into a business and the title business for me was a perfect blend of business and law. So there's not a day that goes by where I don't make some legal determination or use my uh, legal background, but I'm also running a business. So I'm dealing with all the aspects of, of that. And there's a little more scale than you have in a typical law firm, the way I was running my law firm. And one of the things that is the biggest difference is in law, you do the work and then you try to get paid here we do the work and we get paid when the deal closes and we write ourselves a check. Um, and so basically after, after uh, several years of spending some time learning about the business and studying the business, um, as you know, we, I was uh, getting ready to, to get going with my friend, we started a title agency called Competitive Title in Beachwood, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland. And uh, we, we ran that together for about 10 years. What and year after, was that you guys founded? Convention? It was in 2000. So it was the okay. spring of 2000. And we uh, ran that business together, as I said, for about 10 years. And then I, um, I sold my, my interest back to my friend, who is still my friend, uh, and moved out to Nova Title. And Nova Title was in another suburb of Cleveland. Um, their business was more focused on doing uh, judicial title. So they did work for a law firm that filed foreclosures. So in Ohio, every foreclosure complaint needs a title report called the judicial preliminary judicial report. And they were dealing with a lot of bank owned properties. That was 2009, actually February of 2009. So the, the buildup of bank owned properties had been, had occurred and they needed escrow experience and they wanted to, the owner basically wanted to, um, you know, diversify their client base. And so bringing me in who had the legal background, the title background and sales, ability, hopefully, and you know, clientele in, uh, in retail, what we call retail, so the average buyer or seller, 
dealing with banks, dealing with investors, dealing with attorneys, doing commercial work. I had I had that. And so I came out to Nova and it's been, I don't know, 13, 14 years that I've been here. And after a few years, I became uh, an owner of the company. Okay, awesome. So, you know, what right now, like, are some challenges that you're, you're maybe you're facing or you know other people in the industry are facing as um, like a truly independent agency? Yeah. So, you know, the, the biggest challenge is I, I feel like there's always enough deals for everybody, more or less. I mean, you know, the, the, the arc, the number of title agents, it, it went way up and then it kind of has gone down quite a bit. Um, there's still plenty of competition. Competition is good. I feel like there's enough for all of us. One thing I've always enjoyed about the title business is there's a level of collegiality in which if someone calls me and says, hey, I'm not sure what you did on this file. Can you please tell me? Or I see you worked in this subdivision. We can't get a release from the developer. How did you do that? I saw you got one. I mean, just literally Friday, I called a competitor, general counsel for a competitor and said, who I know through our Ohio Land Title Association trade group and asked, how did you deal with this issue on a very unique issue? She looked it up, called me back. We went through it. It was very helpful. <clears throat> and that helped us get our deal closed, which is actually closing today. Um, the biggest challenge is, is wire fraud. I mean, it's very simple to me. It's fraud. I was at, when I was out at the land title meeting out in Colorado, one of the uh, title agents I spoke to said you know, 25, 30 years ago, our biggest issue was what's going on in the paperwork. Is there something hitting, hidden in the documents? Did we somehow forget to pay something? Did we send a check to the wrong place? Now it's everyone on every file is trying to steal the money. I mean, that's just what it's all about. And so if we, in, in any given month, you know, an average title agent closing even 20, 30 deals a month, they're dealing with millions of dollars of other people's money. And that is just an attractant, like, like a moth to flame for hackers and fraudsters. And it's, it's constant. And so you have to be incredibly vigilant. You have to have proper IT. You have to have all the various tools. I mean, in my spam filter, I check it every every 15 minutes or 20 minutes or something it comes through. I mean, I get stuff from, from various and sundry mortgage companies. It's all baloney. Um, I mean, I've gotten fake emails from people with, that I know are fake. So I've called them because their signature block is in the email and it'll see on the email, hello, you've reached Sue Smith in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at First American Title. Um, please leave a message if I can help you. I'm aware that my contact information is on a spam phishing email. If that's the case, just understand that I, I'm aware of that because so many people presumably had called this person saying, hey, you're being, you're being used because all of our information is everywhere, right? Anybody can say, that they're John Dyer and send an email from Nova Title and, and it's just fake. So, um, I mean, that is critical. And so being aware, having cyber coverage, being aware of what that coverage is, really in the, in the nitty gritty of it, because that's where all the issues are, right? It's in the details. And then having a process or a vendor that can help you provide legitimacy to all wiring instructions, whether they're money going to a seller, money going back to a buyer on a refi, um, whether it's invoices to the real estate companies, every dollar that goes out of our office, we have to be able to be incredibly clear on where that's going. And, you know, people forget in 2001, two and three, we would get fundings, we would get a check. I mean, we would get a FedEx that had a window pane 
and it was obvious it was a check for like Deutsche Bank for, and you could see that it was for like $185,000 or whatever the number was. That was how everything got funded. It was all paper checks. I mean, it was rare that we would ever go to the bank. And over time, we, we got to the point where everything was being wired. And then in Ohio, several years ago, probably seven or eight years ago now, the state passed a good funds law. So any dollar amount over $10,000 had to be wired and it just became a perfect storm. So then everything was a wire. So, you know, most agents are familiar with all the various um, scams out there. Uh, I think it's important for us as a group of agents to, and for, and we appreciate what you guys do as a podcast. I just listened to Certified and Tyler Adams from Certified on your podcast the other day. And, you know, we have a, a similar system with them. Uh, they, that is critical to everything we do. Those vendors are key to us. And I think we as an industry have to invest in those types of tools. And we also have to do the simple things like every seller has to give us a wiring instruction form that they fill out that is notarized every single time. They can't use their own notary. We have to schedule the notary. Um, if they change their instructions, someone has to go meet with them or they have to come back in. Sometimes it's a real hassle. Yeah. You know, we had a deal just earlier this week on Monday where a person sold the house. The lender, his, his, the agent handling the sale funded 100% of the purchase price instead of just the money he needed. So all of a sudden we realized, hey, we're overfunded. We need your wiring instructions. So his spouse emailed us his Schwab account. And I said, no, I have to go meet that guy. Like we need to do that. So I drove 20 minutes. The guy really appreciated it. It was a great customer service opportunity for us. He signed the form. We attached the Schwab account information and, you know, and then we knew we were secure. So, and then it's important that everybody in the office understands that. And it's like, you can't communicate enough how important this stuff is because it's so easy for somebody's guard to be down. And they say, you know, when you listen to, to podcasts and industry professionals about this, there's usually three things. Somebody's sick. Someone's busy, someone's sitting in somebody else's chair, and that's when the stuff happens. So you just, the, so, so that's, that's the biggest issue, you know, uh, to, to me. We're also in, the, in a situation where we're in a very rocky economy. And, you know, really it's been rocky in, in, in sometimes in a good way. You know, March of 2020, uh, the middle of March, the state of Ohio named uh, us as a, a relevant industry or a critical industry, if you will, we didn't know whether we were going to have a company in six months. We didn't know what was going to happen. It was very frightening. And um, that that's daunting. Like, is my business that I've owned for 10 years going to evaporate? I don't know. So that was tough. Now, who knew there would be a boom? I mean, not me, <laughs> but there was. And that lasted for a period of time. And, you know, nothing ever lasts, nothing lasts forever. Right. And we've seen this. Luckily, you know, for me, we've had the benefit of 20 some odd years of experience. So you've seen the ups and the downs, you the know, it's cyclical, downs, yeah. you know, it's going to drop, you know, it's going to, you know, go up, you, you hope it's going to go up again. Um, so, you know, you have to be smart about staffing, smart about costs. When you're killing it, you're probably not the greatest salesman ever. You might be a really good salesman, but you're riding the market to some extent. Yeah. Um, you have to have diversity. You can't just do refis, you know. You've got to be sensitive to the purchase market. I mean, we really focus on the purchase market because no matter what happens, there's always going to be purchases. Refis, they kind of come and they go. Um, so, I mean, th there's there's always a lot of challenges in running a small business. Um, the people that do it are typically pretty good at figuring out you know what those challenges are and, and if 
finding a value proposition in the marketplace for themselves. So I think whatever your niche is, you have to really explode into that and then make sure that you do your absolute best and your team does the absolute best to provide a really good customer experience every time. And if you can do that, you'll always have work. That's been, you know, the, the, the whether that was intentional or it just kind of happened for us, um, that's kind of how it's worked. Yeah, yeah. But now sort of seeing that, like that big boom and like this kind of really quick slowdown, I think, I think a lot of people are thinking, oh, okay, you know, I, I might have survived it because, or despite, you know, planning and that sort of thing. So it's like just being really intentional going forward about like, how do I insulate my business? How do I make sure I'm diverse? How do I, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I, I heard, and actually I think it was from that podcast with Tyler, he had mentioned that, you know, he hears people say that right now is like the hardest time in history to be in the title business. Um, that, you know, being an agency owner in particular is really, really tough. Um, does that ring true for you or, you know, like if you were to do I, it all again, starting now, like, would you do it knowing how the market is? I, I would. And, and, and here's why. I mean, when I began, when I opened my first title agency in, in the year 2000, so 23 years ago, I had a really good partner. And so we were going to do business with his referrals. So that was good. Um, so we had some level of insulation, but one of my, one of, one of the judges in a court that I practiced in a lot, her husband owned a title agency. And she, she used to say to me, John, you have little kids, uh, you know, you, the, these joint ventures, they're killing the business. The independent agent is dead. I mean, that's been out there for a long time. And so anybody that thinks that this is the business for them, and you've been working in a title agent for 10 years and you've got an escrow officer and attorney or whatever, and you want to break off or you see things are not going the way you want them to go and you think this is an opportunity to start up. I mean, I, I would uh, urge anyone to bet on themselves and to do that, um, to, to start small, grow. I mean, any business I've ever had, which has been a couple, only a couple, you know, we, I've wanted my cost to be low. You start, I started out in sublet space that was very small. We slowly grew and we slowly expanded. And that's when we've gone into other markets. Um, that's how we did it. We grew slowly and then, you know, hopefully quickly, but we protected our downside. And so um, would I do it again? Yes, absolutely. The title business has been a lot of fun for me. It's been great for my family. Um, I've met a lot of wonderful people and I've been able to employ a number of people over the years uh, who are still friends. Um, you know, we people move on and this and that. And, you know, what I always tell people is when you come in, come in, learn as much as you can. The worst thing that's going to happen is you'll be able to make more money down the road because you're going to have a lot of knowledge. So work hard, be like a sponge, absorb everything. And we have to create a reason for you to stay at our company and to stay working with us, you know, for the duration. So we try to do all those things that are important to people um, in the culture. And I, I think that, uh, you know, I think the reason it's probably that Tyler might've mentioned that it's the hardest time to be an agent is you have all these issues that are throwing a small business and then everybody's trying to steal from you. Everybody meaning like the world of the internet is trying to, hack you, spam you, spoof you. I mean, you name it, they're trying it. And, you know, I, I've told, I told, I've told a bunch of people at all to one, I've got two $250,000 checks in my file cabinet that are completely bogus, that were related to a transaction that clearly was never meant to be a transaction. The goal was for us to somehow be bamboozled into depositing the checks and then presumably then wiring some of that money or all that money back to the 
to the buyer, you know, the next day or a day later or something, and the checks clearly are no good. And, you know, it's constant and, and you know, and that's just in the last six months. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. It gets a little old and, you know, so, you know, you, you, you wake up every morning, you wonder, is today the day, today, the day that somebody makes a mistake or that I make a mistake and, you know, we owe 200 grand and we find out what we, how good our cyber insurance is. That, yeah. that, that's, that's weighty. I mean, that weighs on you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like every year we always ask, you know, what people's biggest concern is. And, and every year it seems to be that people just feel like they're juggling so many different responsibilities just because of the nature of the job. And, and especially when you're in um, a smaller company, you know, you're kind of, I saw a lot of answers, people being like, well, I'm the everything person, so I'm doing all of it. But then to have like that threat and that concern, on top of a, an already pretty stressful job because you're kind of in the middle of a lot of different parties. There's, you know, the real estate agent and there's, you know, the buyer and seller that you're also coordinating with. There's the lender. There's just a lot of different factors that you're you're trying to juggle in this role. And then to, to have that threat because people have identified that there's a lot of money moving through, you know, the, these roles through these companies, you know, and, and, and so you become this really big target on top of, an already tough job, you know, it's, it's gotta be really hard. <laughs> it, it can be. I mean, the, 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 one of the positives is, you know, if you're, if you're fortunate enough as we are to have good, solid people who have worked here a long time, everybody's pulling the, the rope by this at the same, the same direction. Um, you can really get some leverage and you can really help a lot of customers and you can, you can implement the various things that will allow us to be safe and secure. And some of them are very simple and some of them are a little bit more tech-based. Um, and so, yeah, it's uh, it's never dull, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, you mentioned when we were talking before uh, we scheduled our interview that, you know, no matter like what size title agency, no matter if you are, you know, affiliated or not, like you have to make really tough decisions for the health of the business when there's a downturn. So talk a little bit more about that. And like, I know you had mentioned some smaller agencies may not be, you know, as quick to make those decisions and can their businesses can suffer because of it. Yeah. I mean, it's so running a small business. I mean, the people are essentially your, your family, they're your work family and you care for them and you want the best for them. And you know, who's getting married and who's having kids and, you know, all those things. And you watch their kids grow up. We've been fortunate enough to have several people's children work for us for a period of time. Um, and, and a lot of times they move on to something after they get out of school, but it's a good filler job for them. And, you know, they'll always know when they sign their note and mortgage, what they're doing, hopefully. And <laughs> what they're yeah, a little for. bit better for it. So, yeah. Yeah. A little, little side benefit. Um, so it's hard when you have to make those hard decisions, whether it's to, you know, have a pay freeze or, go to a three-day work week or, you know, any number of cost-cutting moves or say, hey, we're going to move out of a really, you know, beautiful, expensive space that we loved, but we need to downsize because we have people working from home and, you know, we just can't, we can't afford it. It's, it's smart to be a, a little bit cost-conscious now. Um, and, you know, what, what I found is what people understand that they understand, like we have some folks who are really excited when they can buy a copy paper on Amazon and save a buck a rack or whatever it is. And so, and that stuff all adds up. Um, 
But when you have to lay people off, and that happens in our business with the ebbs and flows, and it's happened to a lot of people in the last 12 months, and it might happen you know, again for the industry as we move forward, you, you, you as a business owner have a responsibility to the business, which employs X number of people, to be viable on a going forward basis. And while it's always unfortunate and it can be devastating to lay someone off, you're not helping the business by not making that decision or tabling that decision for a lengthy period of time. And then now you have to lay off two people because now you've worked yourself into a financial situation where you're worse off than you were. So, you know, and you can't reverse time. So you can't go back to the summer and say, okay, orders have slowed down. Let's really hope it picks up. And then it does. And you're like, okay, now we have to do a layoff. And now it's too late. Now, now things have gotten even worse and you've spent that capital and people aren't busy, um, you know, then the business suffers again. So, you know, you have to be, you have to be flexible. You have to make that hard decision and that's what people want. And I think, you know, I've had situations where I've laid people off, you know, in the last couple of years and, and, you know, you do it face to face, you do it with as much respect um, as possible. And, you know, generally people have understood they understand. They understand that it's not out of any spite or that they did something wrong. It's that, you know, the, the portion of the business that they were in just has has dropped despite our best efforts. And, you know, to some extent, I can't speak for other people, but you, know, you feel like you failed that employee and it's a bad feeling. And that's another reason why sometimes people delay that, you know, laying off or something. And sometimes you have to fire somebody. And sometimes firing somebody is the best thing you can do for them because it's a kick in the, the butt to say, hey, I got to change how I'm doing things. Like maybe this isn't industry isn't for me. Um, You know, Larry David from Curb Your Enthusiasm says getting fired is the best day anybody ever has. You know, I don't know about that. But um, so being very uh, upfront with people and truthful is really beneficial. And it's it's ironic because I sometimes say in real estate deals to to the clients, like I learned practicing law, people can handle bad news. It's the not knowing that kills them. Yeah. So, you know, if something's not going to close, we make sure everybody knows. Okay. And, or it might be delayed because if there's going to be, if we know Wednesday, there's a delay on Friday, they can cancel the moving truck. They can cancel the carpenter. They can cancel the painter or cancel the house cleaner or whatever it might be, or just stay with their parents for another week or just lock it in. Hey, this isn't happening this week. But if you don't tell them that until 1130 on Friday, because you're hoping it's going to come through or whatever the case is, you know, you're going to get the payoff, you're going to get the loan docs, whatever the issue is, um, they have fewer options to to resolve issues. So um, to, to answer your question, I mean, it, it's 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 tough making those decisions, um, but you have to do it for the benefit of the business. And sometimes the, the sooner you do it, the better off everybody is because you've got a chance to fight another day. And I will tell you. I mean, during when COVID hit, initially we had a bunch of orders fall out, and one of our one of our uh, key referral sources basically was not able to function anymore because of government regulation, and we had to lay some people off. And I think everybody that we laid off, it was three or four people, we ended up offering to come back, and some of them are still here today. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a success story. Yeah, it's tough because I think you know, it's a pretty specialized business and you have to understand certain things and know certain processes. And and I don't know if you guys are using like a title production software, like there's definitely a learning curve with certain things like that. Like, 
once you have your people trained and they're good employees, it's it's tough to let them go, knowing that things will turn around and they might find another opportunity or they might get out of the business, you know. So I think that to be able to bring them back is really awesome. It's funny because at the beginning of the pandemic, well, you know, a couple months in when things kind of like, you know, had a huge upswing and we had this boom, everyone's looking for, you know, employees. They're trying to fill their books. They're trying to, fill, you know, and um, and I think that was one of the biggest struggles at that point in time. And now it's kind of like, okay, what do we do with these people that we had, you know, and I think obviously it's still an issue, but it was more of an issue last year when the market started um, really turning down. But um, yeah, I think kind of managing that, like, having the people you need who are trained and able to do it, but also trying to keep them busy right now. Yeah. And so, you know, now is a great time to do kind of back burner projects like mm -hmm. polishing up your CRM, um, you know, making sure you're on the cutting edge of different, different aspects of the business, whether it's with, you know, uh, certified or doing marketing things. Um, it's a great time to make sure all of your processes and procedures are documented so that you have that locked and loaded. You you know, the best practices is kind of being overhauled. Let's let's pull that out of the rack and look at that. So there's lots of things that people could do. And the other thing is, as you know, as technology, I mean, one of the big changes that's happened in the business is how technology has changed so dramatically and changed how people do things. I mean, when when I first started, and this is more says more about me than the title business, I suppose, in 2000, but we used SoftPro, we pulled it out of the box. And we didn't, I didn't have the ability or the knowledge to figure out how to use the check writing process in the system. So we would sit there with a typewriter and bang out the checks. You know, now we weren't doing that many closings, so it wasn't that hard to do. There were like four or five checks in every file, but we literally put them in a typewriter, type them out, put them in an envelope or FedEx or whatever. And now, I mean, all the, all that stuff just spits right out of the system. And the FedEx is generated out of the system. It's very efficient. So you know, we, so we don't have less employees now necessarily per deal. We have the same number, but they're working on higher contact things, higher value added services, like communicating with a customer and making a phone call to the customer in every transaction um, and letting the technology work for us. I mean, we used to have a bunch of typists. Now we outsource a lot of that to a firm in, in Texas. So we don't have to worry about that. And, you know, one of the tech things that's coming is the ability to have an exam just be through OCR to allow that to basically create a title commitment and you know, mm -hmm. title examining has changed dramatically, obviously, and will continue to do so. Um, so, you know, technology giveth and it taketh away. It's allowed us a lot of our operating efficiencies, but it's also created the ability for us to be the target of fraud. So it, it cuts both ways. That actually kind of um, dovetails into the uh, next question I had. So um, between like title searches, if you guys do like HOA research, any sort of like um, title production like searches, do you guys outsource any of that or is that all done in-house? So we outsource most of it. So we have a, a, several vendors um, around Northeastern Ohio and our kind of model is we typically use smaller locally owned companies, local examiners. Mm -hmm. typically are one or two or three person operations. And then as we move away from Cuyahoga County, which is in Northeastern Ohio and the attached counties, it's harder for us to find those people. And we don't do as much work. So we use either underwriter options or national vendors or regional vendors. Um, and that's kind of how that kind of sorts itself out. And then as we go down to Columbus, which is Franklin County, we have an examiner 
who does those exams for us. Same thing for Hamilton County, where Cincinnati is. So in the populated areas where there's more deal flow, we have individual people. And then as we go as we go into the more uh, less populated counties where we happen to be doing less work, we're using national vendors. And then when we do, we've had situations. We have a number of um, of colleagues that are licensed title agents that are also very skilled examiners. So there have been periods of time where we've had to have people go to the county to do the exams in XYZ County, and you can kind of start online, but it terminates in 1984 or 1980 or whatever it is, and then you got to go back from there and then bring it forward. So we've had to, in a kind of a kind of a worst case scenario, because an examiner got ill or left the business or whatever, so we're left without the ability to get the exams done. And you know, if you get a contract in that's a 12-day close. That's, that's tough, right? And if, if it's in Cuyahoga County, that's one thing because we're doing a lot of exams there and we can call our friend, the examiner, and say, hey, I need a rush on this. But then if it's in an outlying county, you can't do that. You don't have anybody or you're doing two deals a month. No one's going to rush something for you. And if it's coming back in seven to 10 days, that's not good enough. So you got to go to plan B. So you can always tell the people, hey, we can't close it that fast. And we have to do that sometimes. That's not preferred, but sometimes we have to do that. Um, so we have used our, um, our, my colleagues to do exams periodically, but that's not sustainable. And then we often have, we have a couple people that do title updates. So pre-recording updates, we can do those internally on county websites where the counties are able to, um, you know, where everything's online so we can do an update. So we do do many updates and we try to be efficient and we try to, you know, it depends on what's the cost and how much time does it take. And so we kind of jigger that to make sure that we're getting the best bang for our buck. Um, and, and that's kind of how that, how we function there. Yeah. Um, I know we saw a pretty big uptick. Well, you know, PropLogix is a vendor. We do a lot of searches and like, obviously as the market goes up, we see, you know, an uptick in orders. Um, but I was talking to, um, Brent Shear, who's um, at Advocus, Illinois-based, they are an underwriter that really mostly deals with attorneys. But he he was saying that he's seeing a lot of people trying to kind of avoid um, having to let staff go by taking a lot of things that they would outsource. And it just depends, obviously, if it's like an examination thing or if it's like you have to have physical feet on the ground in certain you know areas, then then that may not be something that you can necessarily like, you know, bring back in house. But um, but that people are starting, you know, to pull some things that they might have used uh, a vendor for only because they could they had a certain number of a certain volume and like they wanted to try and like you know, be able to get more done without having to necessarily hire more staff, but that they're bringing some of that stuff in-house just to be able to keep their staff busy. Mm -hmm. Is that something you guys have been experiencing or that you've thought like, here's, here's a way to do it? Or is it so specialized where it's like, it doesn't really make sense necessarily for us well, to it, do it? It, it? It depends. I mean, so the answer is kind of yes and no. So the, I'll tell you the things that we've done more of. So during a slow period, we're more apt to do the closings ourselves. So I'll go do them. One of our staff people will go out and meet people. So we don't have to pay a, a contract closer to do yeah. that. The problem with that is, you know, we have two or three contract closures we use almost exclusively in, in the Northern Ohio area. And so if you stop using them, then when you need them, they're not going to be available because they found someone else. Now, right now the market's down as a whole. So generally those people are available. Um, 
So, you know, you've got to, and the same thing happens with examiners. Like in Cuyahoga County, we have two examiners we use and we try to feed them both because if we just give all the business to one person, then if something happens with them, the other person's not going to be around. So we try to, Mm -hmm. we try to be intentional on things like that. And then something as simple as, you know, we're in, we're in Cuyahoga County and we're in Solon and it takes us 25 minutes to drive downtown and, 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 we have a person, an examiner downtown that can record for us. But if it's 3.15 on a Friday, one of our people might drive down there. I might drive down there and just park, go in, record, and come back and just be done with it. So we don't have to worry about, is the person going to have time to do it? There are certain counties where the, for whatever reason, the recording process, it's not electronic. So most of our counties, we cannot record a transfer from Smith to Jones electronically, we have to physically go to the county. Um, some we can, and it's trending in that direction, which is great for us. But if we submit it at one, will it be done by four? What if there's a problem with the tech? What if the person who handles that sick that day? We're not going to know that. And once we submit it electronically, you know, so what happens is like we had a deal and it was a small deal, but it was, we were trying to help this client. And it was kind of a last minute and it was a couple day close, which was crazy, but we got all the work done. And, you know, we, we, one of the things I often say is, you know, don't snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. So that day I made the wrong decision to record electronically because it was 11 o'clock. We had the deed, there was no mortgage. What could happen? Well, we went to e-record in Summit County and it just never got done and never got done and never got done. We called, we called finally like 345, they called and said, oh, we're backed up. Sorry, this will be Monday. And I could have driven to Summit County, you know, filed it, had lunch, said hi to LeBron and driven back to Cleveland to Solon. And we, we, it would have been two, but instead we waited all day and I got all agitated because what's going on, what's going on. So, you know, you live with a sword, you die with a sword. So, you know, sometimes we'll just say, Hey, we're going to have somebody drive out to that County. Um, and there's some counties where the examiner is only there, you know, every other day. So we have to do it ourselves. So we have to allocate our resources um, to do that. So, you know, we've tried to use technology in a way that allows our people to um, focus in on the customer experience as opposed to um, doing something that's, that's easily or fairly easily to delegate to an outsource vendor or to a third party. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of the way, and that's, that's worked for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about, like in terms of challenges or things that you're noticing or anything you're looking forward to in 2024 in terms of, um, your role or, um, your company? Well, I, I can't wait to see what happens with this market and this economy. I mean, you know, I, what, what I have found is so, in the 23 years I've been doing this, you know, things have gone up, things have gone down. So, you know, in 2001, 2000, we we're just starting in 2001 and two, in 2001, after 9-11, unfortunately, rates started to drop, business went up. We were hiring people as quickly as we could. We ramped up. Um, 2003, it just went nuts. Like I remember in May or June of 2003, and our order book was like a, a it, like lined papers how tech forward we were at the time um from office max we had we had like three of them it was like you know one two and three with like a label on it and which is probably a sticky note just you know taped to the front of the thing we had 297 orders in may or june 
And I mean, it was nuts. And they were mostly refis because rates had dropped like a stone for a couple for a couple of months. And we got a new customer and all this stuff was happening. And it was like we died and went to heaven. And then, you know, the investor work ramped up and then all that stuff fell out. And, um, you know, the market was slow for a while. There were no refis. It was all purchases. And then the financial meltdown happened in 2009. And, you know, that that got rid of a lot of the B and C lenders that we used to deal with who were very difficult to deal with. Um, and I mean, things have just ebbed and flowed and changed so much. And COVID is just the most recent. And now we're in this downturn. And of course, older people like us say, I remember in 1980, my parents had a 17 percent mortgage. And people saying that doesn't make it feel any better. They don't make it doesn't make you feel better that you're at a seven and a quarter. But, you know, the reality is, I mean, the biggest challenge we have just from a business standpoint right now is a lack of supply, right? There's just not enough houses for people to buy due to a variety of uh, macro economic factors. And so there's not much we can do about that. What we can do is look at the marketplace and say, what other opportunities do we have? Like, can we work with auctioneers? That's something a little bit different. We have an office in a little bit of an outlying community. There are other title companies that might be in a situation where they're older and they're 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 just like they're they're kind of done because a downturn it's one thing when you're 59 like me it's another when you're 72 you, and you might not have about the retiring sometime to, anyway yeah yeah to push through so it might it might create an impetus to move on to the next stage of your life so it's possible mm-hmm. that we can you know add some employees through an acquisition or take over a customer base and pay someone as a sales rep so you know we're trying to think of different ways that we can pivot and I, I used to say, you know, if my customer base in 07 was the same as it was in 08, I'd be out of business. It was the same. If it was the same in 09, it was in 08, same thing. So, you know, you and sometimes it's luck and sometimes it's intention and sometimes it's just taking care of people and the, and the business finds you. And so I believe that no matter what the, the economy is doing, and especially in a turbulent, turbulent economy, there's always opportunity. So you just have to go out there and find it. And if you make your calls and you're active, and you take care of your customers, you know, the deals are going to find you and you'll be okay. So I'm very positive about the future um, for the industry and for us here at Nova Title. I thank you so much, John. It was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing your experience and all of this awesome advice. And um, I can't wait to um, share this with our listeners. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure being on the podcast, Lindsay. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. You can get even more insights by downloading our full 2023 report at stateoftitle.com. For any resources discussed in this podcast, follow the link to our show notes in the podcast description. Be sure to subscribe to Title Talks wherever you listen to podcasts and don't miss our launch of season five, which is coming soon. Also, if you have a moment, take some time to leave us a review. It really helps us out. Title Talks is a production of PropLogix. We're a tech-enabled due diligence provider committed to helping title professionals get to the closing table with confidence. For information about our time-saving services, head to proplogix.com. That's P-R-O-P-L-O-G-I-X.com. Happy holidays. And until next time, happy closings to you.